Hey guys, I'm Shane Burke with the Marketing Growth Podcast. Today we have with us Wayne Mullins, the founder of Ugly Mug Marketing. He helps entrepreneurs build and grow their businesses with effective marketing. On today's episode, we're going to talk about marketing and how to make it work for your business. If you need help marketing your products and services to the right people, feel free to reach out to me and my team for end-to-end digital marketing services. For more information, check out our website at shanebarker.com. That's S-H-A-N-E-B-A-R-K-E-R.com. Now let's hear what Wayne has to say about creating a winning marketing strategy for your business. What's going on, man? How are you doing? I'm doing great, Shane. How are you today? I'm doing awesome, man. Doing awesome. I'm, I was excited to, uh, to have you on the podcast. I'll tell you, you know, one of the first things, and we'll probably get into this a little later, is, uh, is the name, man, the ugly mug marketing. I, I love that. I, you, you know, and, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I, you're, you're not a bad looking guy. I don't know. You couldn't have named it after yourself. That couldn't have been the deal. What, what do we have? What's what happened there? Yeah, it it's comes from a, a quote by the a name of the gentleman, a gentleman of the name, sorry, David Ogilvy, uh, Ogilvy Mather fame. And he supposedly had this quote that was, I would rather an ad that's ugly, but effective than one that's beautiful that isn't. Uh, and so for us, it's kind of that North Star that, you know, in the world that we live in, design awards are, the, are, are a thing. People pursue those. Um, so it's, it's trying to keep us focused on what matters most, which is the results for our clients. I love that. I, you know, it's funny. And so we'll, and we'll probably touch on, obviously touch on the agency and some stuff. I tell you, I was impressed with your guys' website, man. I went and looked at your guys' website and just how it flows. And I can tell you guys have put a lot um, I've, I've seen a lot of websites in my days and, and I tell you, I was very impressed with your guys' website and we'll get into that. Obviously the ugly mug and all the other fun stuff. Um, what I usually like to do the way I like to start the podcast off is just to kind of get a little bit, know a little bit more about Wayne, right? This is, this is obviously Wayne 2.0. I want to know a little bit about Wayne 1.0, like what talk about the growing up there. So like, where did you, now I know you're currently in Louisiana, but where did you, where did, did you grow up in Louisiana as well? I, I did. I grew up in a small town called Alexandria, Louisiana. Um, you know, for most people listening, when they think Louisiana, if they think of anything in Louisiana, it's typically New Orleans. So if you envision all the sights, the sounds, uh, everything that comes to mind when you think of New Orleans, and then picture the polar opposite of that, that is Alexandria, <laughs> Louisiana. That is that where is, I grew up. Oh, that is too funny. You know what's funny? There is, um, is there a, what's, are there, are there any colleges there? There is Louisiana College is right here in the state or in the, in the town. And then there's an extension of LSU, LSU Alexandria is here as well. You know, it's funny because there was actually a college and I, I, I should have looked this up beforehand. There was actually a college that I went to. And what I, when I say went to, I'm using air quotes, because it was um, it was a program where I went to Costa Rica. It was an intern, not an internship. It was an international program that I did, and this was I don't know twenty years ago or something like that. Oh, it was Nickel State. Yeah, down in Nickel. Lake Charles. Okay, that's where it was. I was just I was thought maybe there might have been a connection there, but either way, and I didn't really go to the university. Like I said, it was a, a thing that I did in Costa Rica. Um, that was, and we, as we touched on earlier, Louisiana's on my radar. We just met with some friends that were. Um, you know, that went there and they just weren't necessarily in the, the popular, hey, let's get drunk area, but it more like in just the culture and everything that, around it, like they were enthralled about it. They're like, oh my God, it's one of the best states. And they were like super pumped about it. So like I was telling you, you guys just made it. You might've been on my top 10. Now you're my top five. So I'm going to be coming out to visit there sometime soon. I, I should get a commission check from uh, the tourism bureau here. I'm, I'm going to keep working on you. 
That's it. Hey, don't, it's not going to be too hard. All you got to, you know, if I had your phone number, I'd be like, Hey, I might be coming out sooner than later. Now that we're opening up the country a little bit and people are getting vaccinated and you know, I'm, I'm, you know, like I said, I, I some, I'm excited about it. I'm definitely going to be making a trip out to, to come visit you guys. So, so how big was your family growing up and how many people did you have in your family? Yeah. So growing up, it was just my parents and my brother and I, so it's the four of us. And, uh, that was it. Just a, a small family in a small town. Gotcha. And then are your brother older or younger? He's younger. He's about three and a half years younger than I am. Gotcha. Yeah. I, my brother's uh, six and a half years younger than me. So there was a little bit of a, you know, a little bigger age gap. So it was you know, a little difficult when he was three years old and wanted to hang out with me when I'm 10 and 11, when I was a big boy. So it was like, you know, not, we never really had that. Were you and your brother pretty close? Um, not really. I mean, we weren't, it's not that we weren't close. It's just, yeah. you know, with that four year, it's really it was three and a half years, but in terms of grades, it was four years apart. So, you know, we were never in school together. Um, it was just, you know, he had his group of friends. I had my group of friends and, uh, that's how it unfolded. Well, I hear you. So any interesting facts about you growing up or, you know, the city you grew up in anything fun? (laughs) Yeah. You know, when, when, when I think about fun or interesting facts about this town, you know, I, I run it all with the joke about new Orleans. I don't know that there's much left. Um, the other interesting facts about Alexandria, Louisiana would be that, you know, during the civil war, um, the town was actually controlled by union troops. Um, and so, you know, the river, which is literally two blocks from where I'm sitting right now, uh, the Navy came down the river, there were gunboats here. And supposedly when they actually departed the city, which I believe was 1864, May of 1864, uh, they burned most of the city down. So the city had to be rebuilt at that point. And, um, you know, it's super fascinating because I'm here in downtown, the rivers, again, two blocks that way. So much of where I'm sitting would have, would have been the businesses and a lot of the homes. And so just to think back, you know, it sounds like it's that a long, long time ago, but really it's not that long ago that the city was completely a different place. Wow. That's crazy. So it was actually fully burnt down and then the guys re, uh, had to rejuvenate the city and get it back going, huh? Yeah. I, I can imagine it was a, a vastly different time, you know, in, in the history of that. It's, you know, it kind of says that most of the people end up living in the forest and the, the timber woods surrounding the area um, because there was just nothing left of the city. That's crazy. That's crazy. And then, um, and so what do you, I mean, because, you know, now I'm kind of intrigued about the city. I like smaller cities. And so you said you have a, a, a river that's not too far from you. How big is, I mean, the overall community, how big is the community? Like how many people do you know? Yeah. So the town, Alexandria is about 48,000 people. Um, okay. So, you know, pretty small town um, right across the river is another town, Pineville, Louisiana, about 15,000, give or take. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. That's, I love that. I, I love the smaller towns. I mean, there's just, you know, when you come downtown, they got the little fun dive bars and just the different restaurants and food and everything. I, I, I love that. I, anything, like I said, I, I think I'm because the whole COVID thing, I think I'm clamoring to go just to any city at this point. I'm like, just get me out. Get me on a scooter. I was just looking at RVs. I'm, I'm ready to go, man. I'm, it's, it's just what, yeah, it is. It's like, why not, man? I'm, I'm at a point where it's like, you know, I can do my podcast and do any of my consulting stuff, how I do it can be on the road. And there's really nothing stopping me at this point, other than me just talking about it, not doing it. So who knows? I might, my next podcast, I might be on the road doing that. So, um, so where did you go to college? Did you go to college there locally? I did. I uh, went to Louisiana college, um, which again is about 
two miles from where I'm sitting right now, uh, not very far from where I currently live. Uh, you know, I always say that I haven't made it far in life. You know, <laughs> I was born two blocks down the street that way. I live just a couple of miles of that way and I, I work here. So, you know, haven't made it far in life, but I'm still working at it. Well, I, you know, that's <laughs> the thing is I think that's all perspective. I mean, you you obviously have, you're on the podcast today. You've got a flourishing company and business and, you know, some people don't, I mean, I, you know, I remember reading, I don't remember the exact stack, but I remember they were talking about how many people actually don't leave their hometown. And to me, it's like, you know what? That, there's something to be said about that. It's like, hey, I'm comfortable here. I've got my family here. I mean, that just kind of shows you have obviously some deep roots there. Um, I, you know, in Sacramento, I've lived in Sacramento forever and I went to college outside of Sacramento um, and that was great. But once again, I, I do come back to Sacramento because I've got friends and family here and, you know, it's got a good international airport if I need to travel anywhere to any speaking events or anything fun. So um, that's awesome, man. I don't think there's, I think there's, you know, it's, it's cool. You probably got, your whole family probably lives there, huh? Is that the whole grandma, grandpa, everybody? Yeah, most of the families right here, um, you know, we were very intentional once we started having kids. We wanted them to be around their grandparents, around their aunts and uncles. Um, so just decided that, you know, for the foreseeable future, we would we would be here. Hey, nothing wrong with that. I think that's awesome. Family is important, especially during crazy times like COVID. So what was your what was your major in college? I majored, uh, originally started out as a nursing major. Um, I decided that I wanted to be a nurse anesthesiologist or a nurse mm -hmm. anesthetist, I think is the, the proper way of saying it. Um, you know, and it was after my very first anatomy and physiology test that I knew that was the wrong path for me. That <laughs> 17 written across the top of the page um, really kind of stamped that, that uh, you, you better find another major. I'm so telling I you, switched, man. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I switched over to business at that point with the specialization in marketing. Yeah, that makes sense. I, you know, it's so funny. Like I knew, um, and I, I had this kind of a similar path. I mean, I was always knew I wanted to be like business or sales or marketing. That was, I knew that was where I wanted to be, but I knew like any, like my, cause my mom's a nurse or was a nurse. She's retired. My wife's a nurse. My aunt's a nurse. Like we had just nurses in our family. And I thought, oh, maybe. And I was the same thing. I took biology and I was like, sweet baby Jesus. There's, there's no way this is just not for like, my brain works in a totally different way. Like as a young kid, I was trying to figure out how to like recycle cans and make money. Like I knew that I was like on this thing of the psychology of being able to make money. And that was always something very intriguing to me. Um, but yeah, I, I, anybody that's in, I can remember my wife going through all the nursing and, and all the different the programs and things that she was going to classes. And I remember looking at that stuff and going, man, I just, I'm just a different person. You know, I, I, I could, I learn it probably would I've been great bedside. I think, you know, and, and helping people out. Absolutely. But like just the, the textbook of it, like just these days, I mean, if I go to read a book, I'm like looking around and thinking about this and doing this and doing that, I'd have been super distracted. I, I would have been once again, awesome bedside, but I probably would have had lost a few people bedside because I would have not known what I was doing. So thank goodness we stuck with marketing and nobody died that we know exactly. Yeah. 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 Small goals. So what was your first job out of college? My first job out of college, thanks to uh, a gentleman by the name of Zig Ziglar was in selling. Um, for whatever reason, my junior year of college, my parents gave me some Zig Ziglar CDs. I know I'm dating myself a bit, but some Zig Ziglar CDs. And I don't remember the exact title or, or what the specific um, program was, but it was about selling. And during the course of that program, Zig sold me on the profession of selling. So I knew that I wanted to go in sales and that's, that's what I did. As soon as I graduated, I was looking for sales jobs and uh, spent my first three years selling. 
Yeah. Well, good old Zig, boy. He, I mean, you think he motivated everybody. That guy was something else. I mean, it's, I remember I was listening. Um, I don't know if it was CDs, but I remember back in the day, I was listening to a few, some of his stuff and just, you know, just a great presence. And, you know, I mean, I know you also like to do speaking yourself. And I think that that all kind of plays into that thought leadership. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's definitely a leader when it comes to that. He's next level when it comes to sales. Um, and his quotes, I didn't, you know, you don't realize how many quotes he has until you go put up Zig Ziglar. He's got thousands of them. That guy was just spouting off nothing but gold. Yeah. He was pro prolific for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. So how did you guys, I want to talk a little bit about marketing strategy. Um, and I want to talk about mainly not only just how it works, but I want to talk about like if, why it isn't working for some companies. Um, but before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about your agency. I want to talk about how did you guys come up with the idea of, of um, creating ugly mug marketing? What was the, what was the premise behind that? Yeah, so so Ugly Mug, um, you know, kind of in hindsight happened on accident. It was never intentional, even though my degree was in business. Um, the intention was never to have a marketing company. Um, so as I mentioned, I started out in sales. Um, I initially was absolutely horrible, atrocious at selling. But over the years, after studying and, you know, reading and, and just trying and failing over and over again, I became good at sales. And one day I, I realized that um, my paycheck, I didn't feel reflected what I was selling. In other words, I was selling a lot for this company, but I didn't feel my paycheck reflected that. So I had this crazy idea that I would do something on my own. So I sat down Shane and I said, okay, what skills do I possess? Well, selling was one of them. And the only other skill I could come up with was cutting grass. So much to the dismay of, of my parents and of a lot of people in my life, I decided to leave this very good paying corporate job in sales and start a lawn and landscape company. Um, fast forward over the next three years, I grew that company um, to a very large size, ended up selling it. And it was in the course of that growth that we actually had clients of the lawn company coming to me saying, how are you growing? What are you doing to grow the company? Can you help? Can you teach me what you're doing? And, you know, in the beginning, I didn't think anything of those conversations. It was more of just, you know, glad to help. He, you know, here's what we're doing. Conversation. We're not doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, as it unfolded, what I realized was there was this need in the marketplace for what we were doing. And so out of those conversations, eventually Ugly Mug Marketing was born. Oh, I got you. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it is one of those, you know, I, I can only imagine your parents. I wish I was a fly on the wall when you're like, hey, mom and dad, I'm like, I've got an idea. It's like, oh, cool. Hey, Wayne, come on in, have some tea. Yeah, this is awesome. Sit down. So what do you think about doing, honey? It's like, well, um, I'm thinking about getting rid of my corporate job that brings in stability and, you know, paycheck and, you know, insurance and stuff like that. And I want to want to start mowing lawns. And they're like, okay, Wayne, we're going to drug test you real quick, honey. Come on in. You're going to do a little pee test real quick. Um, yeah, you know, it's like, whoa, whoa, wait, what are we doing? Like, why are you doing that? You're like, don't worry, it'll make sense. And if you, Zig told me to do this, mom, don't worry, it'll make sense. And she's like, oh my God, we, Wayne, yeah. so go get your brother in here so you can come talk to Wayne to figure out what he's trying to do over here. That's hilarious. That was no, pretty much the conversation. It was, uh, you know, the expensive college degree, which, you know, not that I went to an expensive school, but any college degree is not cheap. And it's like, yeah, you, you could have uh, bypassed those, those four years and that, big, uh, that big, the big fees that you sent to the school, the big money you sent to the school and just done this. But, uh, little did I know that would be the path and where it would lead. 
the foundation. Yeah. I mean, that's, I love those. That's why I always ask these types of questions. Even when I ask people like what their degree is, it's mainly to say, well, I was, you know, psychology, but then I started to jump into this. And I love those types of stories. Cause you know, anybody that says, Hey, I'm going to leave this to go cut lawns. We're like, oh, what's going on here. But the idea of that is what you learn to that is how to grow a business. And now the people started coming to you and saying, Hey, I want to grow my business. And now you're in a situation where obviously you guys have been doing this for a long time. Um, how many, I mean, how many companies have you guys worked with? How long have you guys been in business actually? Yeah. So uh, we've been in business 12, almost 12 and a half years at this point. Wow. Um, you know, one thing I'm going to jump backwards real quick, Shane, before I, I yeah. come back forward. And, yeah. and that is this, you know, in hindsight, when we, when we look back at these things, um, you know, we're looking through a rear view mirror. So when I look back at my journey, it's through the rear view mirror, but when we're in those moments, we're looking through the windshield and the windshield is often full of bugs. It's full of debris. It's full of mm -hmm. grime from the road. And so it, it distorts our view. And we don't often understand where that decision may lead us. And so for, for me, you know, we can't, we can't make the decisions looking in the rearview mirror, obviously. We have to look forward. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I've learned through those experiences is this. There's a big difference between taking risk and being reckless. And the way that I would distinguish between those two, I'll steal this from Amazon. Um, they talk about the difference between a one-way door and a swinging door. So a decision that is a one-way door could be a reckless decision. In other words, you step through that door, it's almost impossible to get back to the room that you were just in. Now, if it's a swinging door, you step through that door, you make that decision, you take that risk. It's not impossible to get back. Yes, it may be difficult. Yes, there may be obstacles but the door goes both ways. And so for me, that's been, that's been kind of a learning process over and over again, as we launch new products, as we launch into new areas of business is the question, is this a risk or is this me being reckless, right? Taking unwarranted risk. I absolutely love that. I think that's absolutely warranted. I mean, I, I'm sure you probably wish you had that when you had the conversation with your mom, where you're like, listen, this is not reckless. This is, you know, I can still go back to that job. The job will always be there. Um, I love that. I think that's perspective, right? It's like, hey, I'm going to try something new. It might not be in what you think is best for me, but I can always go back through that door and go do whatever I was doing before. So I love that. And you guys have worked with, I mean, you guys have been in business for almost 13 years and obviously worked with a lot of different companies. Um, I want to talk about what you what you guys look at in regards to a winning marketing strategy. Like, what are your what are your takes on that, and and what do you think the the key components are to a winning marketing strategy? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that you know, first of all, most people don't really understand what marketing is. Um, so most people confuse marketing and advertising. They use those terms interchangeably, and you know, for us. So when we begin a conversation with a client, we often have to kind of make sure that we're on the same page with what is this thing called marketing that we're going to be doing. And we like to use the definition of marketing, which is marketing is your ability to attract and to keep a customer. So it's about attracting, which is typically the advertising side. And then it's about the keeping side. And then where we go from there is, is the difference between a marketing strategy, a marketing tactic, and a marketing framework. And to use an analogy, I'll just use this quick analogy. A framework, if you think about a, a train or a railroad, uh, the framework would be the actual tracks. So the framework is where are we trying to go? What are we trying to accomplish? What's the destination that we're after? The strategy then becomes the actual type of train. 
So depending on where you're trying to go and what you're trying to accomplish, you may need a big locomotive that can pull lots of cargo, lots of freight, or you may need a bullet train, or you may need a passenger train, right? So depending on where you're trying to go and what you're trying to accomplish, that would affect the strategy. But the framework remains constant. And then the last piece and component of that would be the tactics. So what are the individual pieces? And the analogy is just simply the tactics are how you actually operate the train that is sitting on those tracks. I love it. That's a great analogy. Man, you're bringing some, some gold here. We're only 20 minutes in. You're bringing some gold. I love that. I mean, I think the analogy of that, because I do think there's a lot of misconceptions. I think people think, you know, advertising and marketing are the same or, but I love the fact of the tracks. Hey, this is the direction you're going. What kind of train is it going to be? And then the components that can obviously go in the train to be able to get you to the location that you need to go to. So what are, what are any, like, is there like any myths or misinformation about creating a successful marketing strategy that, that maybe have bothered you or things that you always see all the time that you're like, God, I wish people would quit thinking this when it comes to, you know, creating a successful marketing strategy. Yeah, I would say the, the first one that comes to mind is that marketing has to be complex, complicated, and expensive. Um, the reality is when you are strategic and when you put that strategy on the right frameworks, it doesn't have to be those things. It can be simple. It can be linear or progressional. In other words, this step leads to this step, et cetera. I think so, so often people, when they think about approaching marketing, what they do is they turn to a variety of tactics that they you know, maybe see online people talking about. And so they grab all these various tactics and they try putting them all together and it doesn't work. That would be like, Shane, if I, I came to you and said, okay, Shane, I want you to build the best car in the world. If you did a study and you went out and said, okay, well, Rolls-Royce maybe makes the best engine. So we're going to take a Rolls-Royce engine. And then the best transmission maybe comes from BMW. So we're going to take a BMW transmission. And then, you know, the, the body, the best body, the strongest body, the longest lasting body maybe comes from, you know, Ford or whoever. If you go put all of those pieces and components together, you're not going to have a beautiful, great car. What you're going to have is a Frankenstein. That probably is not going to work because you're trying to match an engine with a transmission that aren't designed to go together. And then you're trying to stick that into a body or a frame that those two things weren't designed for. And that is a mistake that I see so many entrepreneurs, so many marketers making is they just go around and they, they pick bits and pieces from, I'll use the term gurus. Um, they pick these bits and pieces up. And they tried, you know, they put them in a brown paper sack, they shake them together and think, okay, here's my strategy. I'm going to dump this out and this is going to work. And they end up frustrated. They end up, you know, believing that marketing, whatever platform they choose doesn't work. It's not effective, all these things. So that would be, that would be a couple of things that I think um, are misconceptions or myths that people run into. Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. I, I think, you know, that's the thing is like, you know, it happens with clients and I, I, I've been a victim of this. I've done this myself where, you know, the next shiny thing you hear about this and you hear about that. And it's like, hey, we, we've got a plan in place. This is what we're working on. Not a problem to bring other ideas to the table, but let's let's implement this. Let's get this thing going forward. Right. Like it's like we could. But the thing is, is everything that we add to this, it's, there's another level of complexity. So there's, there's you know, if you've been doing this for 13 years. The idea of this is like, hey, we we know what's going to be successful. Like 80% of the time, if we do this, this is the kind of results we're going to see. We start adding in all kinds of other variables that's going to take up time and resources that can really throw off the building of the machine, right? I mean, so that's what you got to take a look at. 
Um, I love your analogies, man. I think this is like, you make it like, so, you know, people can like, like, oh, okay, that makes sense to me, you know, cause a lot of these concepts I think sometimes can be over people's heads, but I, I love how you're putting that all together. So do you have any tips for entrepreneurs trying to create a, like an effective marketing strategy? Like what are some of the things that you would say is like, Hey, these are kind of the starting points to make sure they're building the tracks the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think Shane, that one of the first places again, to start is with that definition of marketing. So Marketing is your ability to attract and to keep. So one first question to ask yourself, go pull out your marketing budget, whatever that is, $5 a month, $50 a month, $500, $5, whatever the number is, and do a litmus test and say, okay, what percentage of our marketing budget is allocated to attracting and what percentage is allocated to actually keeping customers or more specifically, turning customers into evangelists for your brand? So that would be step one. Step two, then, I'm going to use another analogy, if you don't mind, is uh, think of an old round analog clock. So it's a clock with the hour hand, second hand, minute hand. Now, when you think about that clock, it's got the 12 o'clock at the top. It's got three o'clock, six o'clock, nine o'clock. So on that clock at the very top at 12 o'clock, we have strangers. At three o'clock, we have friends. At six o'clock, we have customers. At nine o'clock, we have evangelists. Let me quickly walk you through this. This is what we call the natural progression. This is the way that every single human, no matter what product or service you sell, this is the way they make buying decisions. This is based on basic human psychology. All right. So at the top, we have strangers. Strangers would be at 12 o'clock, anyone who we believe could benefit from our product or service. So it's not everyone in the world. It's those we believe could benefit. Three o'clock is friends. So to move someone from a stranger to a friend, they have to first know about you and then they have to like whatever it is you provide. And then to move someone from three o'clock to six o'clock, so from a friend into a customer, they have to trust that your product, your service is going to be more valuable to them than the money they're going to part with in exchange for your product or service. So when I say it's basic human psychology, it's this, no one's going to buy your product. They're not going to pull out your wall, their wallet and hand you money if they first don't know about it, they second don't like it, and third, they don't trust it's going to do what you say it's going to do. And here's the thing for marketers, we so often violate this. We go set up an ad or a campaign and we expect that ad or campaign to take people all the way from stranger to pulling out their wallet with one campaign. And so the place we love to tell people to start is this, start with one campaign that's going to get strangers to know about your product. Develop another campaign that's going to get them to like your product. And then another campaign that's going to get them to trust that your product's going to deliver value. And so when we break it down into that framework, what it does is it gives us bite-sized pieces to develop. So when we're talking about getting people to know about us, we can measure impressions, we can measure reach, we can measure all these things. When we talk about building trust, we can talk about building social trust. Do we have testimonials? Do we have all the endorsements, whatever all these things may be? So we love using that framework, walking people through that simple framework. And then that last bit is creating evangelist, right? And the only way people are going to go tell their friends and family about you is if you've exceeded, your product has exceeded their expectations, and the beauty of it is when they do that, it bypasses the whole stranger thing. So they're going to tell their friends, which already know about you because they've shared, they like you because their friend told them, and there's some element of trust. 
So I love that. I think that framework is, is what I like about that is it also helps clients understand the expectation because I think that expectation coming in is, you know, we do this when we have clients that are coming in and, you know, we have qualifying questions and different things to say, Hey, you know, I'm going to spend $10,000 and I expect to get $10 million in sales and have, you know, 50 evangelists. It's like, okay, so that's probably not realistic because there's certain stages, right? And I think you you very clearly talked about those stages and like, hey, you're going to make it to first base. Like not everything's going to be a home run. So we got to get to first base. You go to second base. We're going to go to third base. We're going to come around and go fourth base. And then guess what? You're going to score. But the idea of it is it's going to take time and money and resources. Um, but I love that because in, it, I think that expectation is so important with clients because that's where, you know, I know when I started doing marketing and bringing on clients, that expectation a lot of the times I didn't meet that because I didn't know what I was doing necessarily. I was like, oh yeah, we can do that. Yeah, not a problem. And then I'm like, ooh, there's, I think I'm missing some steps here. I can't go from, there's no way to get a home run without hitting first base, second base, third base, and then getting to fourth base. Thanks listeners. I hope you loved our conversation with marketing expert Wayne Mullins and learn how to create a winning marketing strategy for your business. On my next episode, we'll talk about the magic bullet mentality, another interesting analog from Wayne Mullins. So don't forget to tune into the Marketing Growth Podcast.